EU Confidential gets started right after this message. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. Good morning from the European Council Summit in Brussels. I'm Suzanne Lynch, your host of EU Confidential. Well, it's that kind of podcast when we are bringing you coverage right from the heart of the action. And we're recording this at about 4am Brussels time. It's the end of the first day of this week's EU summit. And I'm joined by our team of stellar reporters here in the press section of the council's building, the Justice Lipsius. I'm here with Clea Calcutt and Hans van der Burchard. Clea, hi. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, good morning or good evening. I'm not sure what to say at this time. <laughs> I know it's one of it's been one of those late nights, but discussions did finish up here in the early hours of this morning and leaders are coming back on Friday. Before we dive into discussion, uh, let's just first of all hear what European Commission President von der Leyen had to say on her way into the Council. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So we have an important Council meeting ahead of us. If uh, we look at the start of uh, Russia's atrocious war against Ukraine, since today we can see that Russia has cut deliberately two-thirds of its uh, gas supplies to the European Union. We've been able to compensate in the last eight months by diversifying away from Russia to reliable suppliers. We have saved minus 15%. We have been able to fill our storages and we have deployed more renewable energy. And we also heard from Slovakia's Prime Minister, Edward Hager, who popped out of the Council earlier on this evening to speak to Lily Baer and Charlie Cooper, our colleagues. So first off, I wanted to ask you, Prime Minister, about the mood in the room. When you compare this European Council to the previous few summits that you've attended, how is the mood different? Uh, actually, I wouldn't say it's it's different. It's it's constructive. Uh, we all realize uh, the the need in uh, getting the solutions closer and closer. So, quite the optimistic note there from uh, those figures earlier on this evening. Hans, here we are at the end of the evening, uh, and you know we, we were two weeks ago, the three of us in Prague at a similar summit where similar issues were being discussed: energy, energy prices. I mean, was much really achieved here today? Well. In fact, we saw some progress because before this meeting, it was uh, there were two groups, really countries that were pushing strongly for price cap on gas and energy and other countries like Germany who are always more skeptical, who are very afraid, uh, especially the Germans, that if we cap the price on gas and all the gas flows, uh, the, the liquefied gas we're getting from Qatar, from Canada or also Norway might just go to Asia, no longer to Europe. Now it seems like they're going towards uh, this um, idea of, of exploring at least a price cap on the European level, but there are a lot of caveats that the Germans uh, set out, so the Germans really want 
want to ensure that the supply security of Europe remains um, ensured? It's one of those classic kind of European fudges. We had the, the European Commission come out earlier this week with a string of proposals about how to deal with this energy crisis. And as you say, Hans, there, yes, it was kind of tentative agreement for them to move forward. But when you put so many conditions on something, you know, that some people are saying, will this ever happen? This temporary price cap is in itself only supposed to be temporary until a new benchmark index, for example, is set up next year. Yeah, and uh, the interesting thing is that they kicked this now to the energy ministers um, who at the technical level are now supposed to work out a solution or maybe not because uh, Chancellor Scholz um, just uh, half an hour, 45 minutes ago when he walked out of the council building made clear, well, maybe uh, there has to be another meeting of EU leaders possibly next month because if energy ministers can't agree, then leaders will uh, again have to discuss this. So yes, listeners, you may be uh, hearing a very similar podcast from us again in a few weeks. Claire, just to bring you in here, um, one of the sub-themes, if you like, over the last 12 hours or so here has been renewed tensions between France and Germany. Now, you guys have been writing about this during the week. Fill us in on what's been happening there. Well, I think if you look back at the last few days, there's been slightly disruptive attitudes from the French. I mean, it's quite interesting to see that there's been meetings that have been cancelled. There have been new proposals put on the table. There was, as Emmanuel Macron arrived today, really he put the pressure on Germany today to get a price cap through. He arrived, he said repeatedly, you know, Germany is isolated. We need unity. We need to reach a decision on this together. And And he came out at the end very upbeat saying, you know, we've managed to all all gather around and and, and get a solution on on, on the price caps. Yeah, pretty extraordinary language, really, from Macron. It's quite strong. I mean, there was also a a proposed meeting that was cancelled. I know you guys were writing about that. Yes, exactly. So the meeting today where we moved now a bit further to towards the solution after Macron made these strong words, that just happened after yesterday. There was a um, big uh, fallout on the Franco-German uh, relation. The Fra- this Franco-German ex- uh, engine almost uh, stopped to, to, to work, which is, of course, worrying for the entire EU because um, a big meeting of the entire German and the entire French cabinet that had been scheduled for uh, next Wednesday in Fontainebleau, south of Paris, was cancelled. Uh, here was a pretty much a lot of the cancellation had to do with uh, French frustration about uh, Germany not moving enough on these issues that we just discussed, uh, like the gas and energy price cap. Um, and though they now postponed it to January, um, Macron Schultz are still going to meet in Paris next Wednesday, but just uh, the mere news of such an important meeting being postponed, also some suggestion that uh, German ministers might not have been able to go there because they planning to go on holidays, uh, that all just looked very very bad for the Franco-German relations, which are, of course, very important for the EU in general. Yeah, and what we're hearing very much from the French side is that they were trying to, you know, there was there was a desire to sort of up the ante, to sort of make the sort of German-French relationship much more ambitious, and that maybe the Germans will be happy to go through the motions at this stage. But really, uh, you know, Emmanuel Macron wanted to get more on defence, more on energy, and these are two subjects where the two countries have really been at loggerheads. So, for instance, uh, you know, on joint projects such as tanks, there's a future combat uh, fighter jet project, all these things, they haven't managed to sort of get going, despite the fact that both countries say that with the Ukraine war going on, we've got to do more for European military cooperation. And of course, there's the mid-cap story. 
Yeah, the Midcat pipeline, I mean, here we're talking about this uh, pipeline idea uh, to bring gas in the future, also hydrogen, green hydrogen, from um, Portugal and Spain to France and from there further on to Germany, because Germany, of course, needs the gas and needs the green hydrogen in the future for its economy. And this pipeline had been blocked by France, and that was actually a big point of tension between Germany and France, because Germany wants this pipeline so much, and the Iberian countries as well. However, this point of tension was kind of resolved today because um, Portugal, Spain and France agreed to build an alternative pipeline or to at least look into explore building an alternative pipeline between Barcelona and Marseille. And uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, just walking out of the summit here, said he uh, was very happy about this. He welcomed um, the solution, said there will be a pipeline. He was very happy about this. So at least at this point, uh, Franco-German relations are a bit more in order now. There was obviously other big names here at the summit and we saw a new prime minister the Swedish the new Swedish leader was here but also Mario Draghi a giant of the European scene this was his final summit as Italian prime minister and we're hearing that during the council meeting he made a quite a powerful intervention about the need um, for a more of a, a common European financial response really to this this crisis and also the need for Europe to be united how this is going to be exploited uh, by Putin now Interestingly, this, I think, could be something coming down the tracks. Uh, you know, how is Europe going to pay for uh, these new energy costs that are now being borne by different uh, countries? We're hearing, for example, first of all, there was, as we know, there was a lot of resistance to the 200 billion euro plan uh, that Germany announced a few weeks ago. This is Olaf Scholz earlier on when he was asked whether Germany is doing enough for the EU when it comes to this topic. We are the biggest supporter of Europe. We are paying 26% of the budget usually and we are developing a lot of solidarity mechanisms as we did in the last crisis, looking at Corona with the instruments we developed with the RRF and uh, the recovery fund is a good chance for acting together also in the time we have now because most of the funds we are we developed with the recovery fund have not been used yet. What we have to find out is how we can support all countries together in getting prices down. The interesting thing is that um, after he defended Germany's position quite a lot and after there was this push by Mario Draghi today in the summit, uh, Scholz seemed to have moved a little bit or at least he's leaving the back door open to um, going towards new depth instruments. Um, there is this one instrument, it's called Shore. Um, uh, it is basically using um, credit lines or loans to finance uh, energy measures, for example, could be used for that in other countries because not any country can use uh, uh, can, can can afford uh, such a big energy relief package like Germany had with the 200 billion. And uh, Chancellor Scholz said, "Well, we're looking into these. Uh, what is possible? What might be possible?" And even Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte, who's also very very fiscally uh, fr- very frugal, I would say, and very skeptical always about those proposals, said, um, "Well." There could be, we can look into this if it was really needed and then the commission can set up something. I mean, this is potentially a big sea change uh, for these countries. I mean, I remember covering the Eurozone crisis 10 years ago and the idea that Germany and 
and the Netherlands and those more frugal um, member states as they were they were known then um, would be open to the idea of you know common debt issuance etc you know it seemed ludicrous then we had the COVID pandemic things changed and as you say that sure program is kind of being seen that was, that was during the pandemic is kind of being seen as some kind of possible model but we saw a few weeks ago that this issue uh, had come up when we had a joint opinion piece penned by the French commissioner Thierry Breton and uh, the Italian commissioner um, Paolo Gentiloni. Uh, didn't really seem to go really that far. The commission really didn't pick it up. But now this idea of maybe a common debt plan looks like it could be back on the agenda if, as you say, Schultz said that in the last hour or so at the end of this summit. Yes, indeed. I mean, what they're saying is always that we still have this EU recovery fund. Or there's still a lot of money in that pot. So, and that should be used f- first. But if there's really need to go further, they're not excluding this option. I find this very interesting. The door is now kicked open and uh, it could be opened further. So this really could be the next battle. Even if they get through these energy plans, you know, we've got, we're going to have finance ministers meeting uh, for the next ECOFIN meeting. And that's going to be on the agenda. So definitely one to watch. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll continue our discussion right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A message from Lloyd's Banking Group. Lloyds Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. So, it wasn't just energy on the agenda uh, tonight here at the European Council Summit. Um, there was also the economy. And we also heard from the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky. He addressed leaders by video link. Now, on Friday, European leaders here are returning. They're going to be discussing more about the economy, more about Ukraine. Um, but it was a pretty dire warning that um, the Ukrainian president gave to EU leaders. Um, we got a script of 
of of his comments and he made the point he, he issued a warning of, of of what is happening now and um, with these new attacks that are coming uh, to kiev and other places in ukraine and the damage that's doing to, for infra- infrastructure and also that they have uh, information now that Russia has mined a dam in one of the main plants uh, in the south of the country, warning of severe flooding. So very, very serious issues that um, are just a reminder, really, of how the war in Ukraine is just such a huge topic for everyone here in Europe and indeed across the world. I mean, Claire, what are you hearing from the French side about where the thinking is when it comes to the war? I think the French are very worried about the the direction of travel, especially when it comes to arms and weapons delivery. Um, They made a a recent push. I mean, uh, the French have been under fire for not giving enough weapons to to Ukraine. Uh, They maintain that they give more than what international standards say. Um, but admittedly, they don't. They don't give what you'd expect a big country like France to give. Um, and they say that I mean, one of the the main reasons is is that their their army is is not made for these high intensity conflicts, and they don't have much to give. Um, but but what they're worried about is things like ammunition. Like they've they've given certain weapons to to Ukrainians, and with the 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 strikes that are coming, you know, in certain days, you you hear about dozens of attacks. Um, the the Ukrainians are, are, are answering back, but they're, they're you know they're, they're worried about uh, ammunitions running out. Uh, what they're also worried about is the financing, and that that's going to be a big topic today. The EU has decided a new tranche of funding for weapons that the the EU is giving to Ukraine, but uh, they expect this money to run out very quickly. And and uh, uh, how are we going to give to that big pot, which is the European Peace Facility? Um, you know, that, 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 that is bound to possibly run out in the next couple of months. Hans, what's the, what's the feeling in Berlin now about um, what's been happening in the war? Um, obviously, we saw the EU uh, this week agree new sanctions on Iran because these Iranian drones that are now being used by Russia in Ukraine. Um, again, the financing concerns, as Clea said there, uh, big question marks over the EU and Europe's ability to give Ukraine uh, the money it needs. Well, Germans always, the German government always points out that um, Germany is the second biggest uh, financer of Ukraine after the US. So on the European level, they're saying that that already a lot is being done by Berlin. But obviously, we know that it's not enough. And also on the weapons, there has been this constant pressure on Chancellor Scholz and his government to do more, for example, to deliver tanks. This has been an ongoing debate now for a month. Scholz has said that he really does not Uh, He's not going to deliver tanks um, unless other allies are going to do that. So for the moment, that seems to be still stuck. But um, the Germans have been sending um, air defense uh, systems, uh, they're sending air defense tanks, but also, um, so not classical battle tanks, but uh, anti-aircraft tanks, but also missile systems. And there's, uh, there's one missile system, it's called the IRIS-T, and that's worth mentioning because it's very modern. It's a system that not even Germany has at the moment, but they sent it to Ukraine, the first one, and it already shot down a Russian cruise missile this week. So that is actually uh, good news for the Germans that have been... Uh, so much under uh, under criticism all this time uh, that they actually sent a system that has been very helpful to Ukraine this week. Yeah, concerning words though again from Zelensky at the summit here tonight. The other issue that's on the agenda on Friday is China. Uh, Obviously a lot happening in China at the moment. Earlier I caught up with Stuart Lau, our China correspondent, to see what we expect from that discussion. 
we're going to be witnessing a reassessment of EU-China relations due to the changing political dynamic in China. Um, EU leaders will be talking more and more about the competitive nature with China. Of course, you know, partnership on climate change and other issues are still very important to some EU countries, but the main theme will be about competition. The other elephant in the room, of course, is Taiwan. Um, Earlier in the week, the foreign minister's meeting in Luxembourg Uh, of the 27 EU countries. They already talk about what the European External Action Service, which is the diplomatic arm of the EU, describes as a highly disruptive nature uh, of the Taiwan relations on EU-China relations. So we're absolutely going to witness a period in which EU leaders will be readjusting, reassessing Mm. how to deal with China. And of course... A big week for China. What's happening over there? <laughs> the party congress is happening and it's going to end this weekend where um, um, President Xi Jinping is very expected to be uh, reappointed as the leader for the third time. Uh, what is interesting is going to be witnessing how he manages to um, basically, uh, you know, uh, have people he likes, you know, the kind of loyalists around him uh, to be appointed to the Politburo Standing Committee, which is the top body of the Communist Party who he's going to appoint as the prime minister will be very interesting whether he manages to get somebody he likes to be around him. And so there will be a lot of personnel arrangements that we'll be witnessing this week in Beijing, which says a lot about the firm grip of power of Xi Jinping's. So is that why the leaders uh, here in Brussels are discussing China? Is it to coincide with this uh, this hugely important meeting that's happening? So uh, there was absolutely some indication that the leaders want to make this opportunity, take this opportunity to talk about China in the context of uh, the Congress of course, you know, the timing is a bit funny because, you know, the Congress is not going to end until this weekend, but the leaders are already talking about a sort of predictable future, if you like, uh, whereby, you know, of course, the writing is already on the wall. We have seen, you know, China growing tougher on Hong Kong, on Taiwan, on Xinjiang, uh, punishing Lithuania for uh, siding too closely with Taiwan, um, but also the technological competitive nature, you know, 5G and artificial intelligence, all those issues that obviously the European Union cares a lot about. With, you know, the Biden administration still in power in the US, the EU you know, is looking into, you know, whatever room there is for transatlantic cooperation to tackle China, because we don't know who's going to be the next White House occupant. Absolutely. We have the midterms coming up in in the US very soon. Thank you so much, Stuart, for that conversation. Thank you very much. So thanks to our panellists, Clea and Hans, for joining me at this very early hour on Friday morning. That's it from us from this meeting of EU leaders in Brussels. Uh, Be sure to follow our coverage at politico.eu, particularly as the summit continues throughout Friday and hopefully not into the weekend. If you haven't already, be sure to follow EU Confidential wherever you're listening. And you can always get in touch with me and the podcast team with feedback or ideas at this email address, podcast at politico.eu. Thanks this week to our editor, James Randerson, producer Bob Nicholson from Whistledown Productions, and our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez. And thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.